welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on Thursday, July the 13th, and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, and with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, and the team this week comprises John Plush as our recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin with her wonderful team, and our readers today are Catherine. Hello. Phil. Hello. And Jane. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers. Then what's on in the local theatres, followed by the headline stories, a selection of general news stories, a little bit of sport, and then finishing up with a thought for the week, sunrise and sunset times, and the magic birthday file. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we'll add you to the file. Obituaries are now recorded after the closing music, as I'm sure you know. We love to hear from you, so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766 or alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5, 1DA. So let's start this week with the telephone numbers, which Phil, I think, yes, is going to supply. Yes, thank you, Pips. Here at Wilds Lane, talking newspapers, Colin Chance House, we are 01905 767 766. And it says here that listeners should be aware, as I'm sure you are by now, that this is not manned daily and you need to be patient if a reply is required. Police non-emergency is 101. NHS Direct is 111. Out of hours, medical assistance can be found on 0300 123 3211 and that's between 6 o'clock and 8 o'clock p.m. Crime Stoppers is on 0800 555 Worcester Hub is on 01905 765 765. Worcestershire County Council's Here to Help is on 01905 768 053 and you need to select option 3. The Community Risk Team, which looks after fire safety, is 0800 032 1155. The Domestic Abuse Helpline is 0800 980 331. Sense Adventures, that's walking for the visually impaired, um, in the hands of Dee Jones, who can be contacted on 01684 891796 or www.senseadventures.co.uk. Samaritans is 116123. Worcester Live is 01905 611427. More than theatres, 01684892277. Worcester Wheels for Transport is 01905450654, and that's between 8.30 in the morning and 4.30 in the afternoon. Link Nurseries at Powick have a session for visually impaired on Friday mornings, and the telephone number for more information is 01905831881. Thank you, Phil. And unfortunately, I have not updated one of those numbers um, and I must do so. It was incorrect. The Sense Adventures number is actually 01684 
819796. So that's 01684 819796. Sorry about that. Okay, well, moving on to what's on. And... In this feature last week, I majored on the Worcester Fringe Festival, which is happening at the moment and continues until the 22nd of July. As I said before, with more than 60 events happening over the 10 days, there really is something for everyone. A full programme of all the events is available to pick up in any of the participating venues, or you can view a digital version by logging on to bit.ly slash fringe23 bit.ly slash fringe23 and follow the links to the programme. Two shows that I thought I'd highlight this week are both National Theatre Live events being screened at the, at the Swan Theatre. The first, screening on Thursday the 20th of July at the slightly earlier start time of 7pm, is James Graham's multiple award-winning political drama Best of Enemies, set in America in 1968. The other is Phoebe Wallabridge's acclaimed show Fleabag and, I quote, a rip-roaring look at some sort of woman living her sort of life. This is being screened on Tuesday the 25th of July and starts at 7.30pm. For details, contact Worcester Theatres on 01905 I'm not sure I've actually given you the right number there. I'll come back to that. Finally, over at the Malvern Theatre Complex, the brand new Studio One is being put to good use with an adaptation of H.G. Wells's The Invisible Man. This is a brand new, fast-moving, hilarious adaptation that boasts 15 characters played by just three actors. And it's being performed on Monday the 17th and Tuesday the 18th of July at 7.45pm. Also at Malvern and running from Tuesday the 18th to Saturday the 22nd of July, you can catch up with Harry Hill and Steve Brown's critically acclaimed and apparently incredibly funny musical, Tony, the Tony Blair Rock Opera. It's been described as Yes Minister meets the Rocky Horror Show. Well, that sounds (laughs) difficult to imagine. For details of both these shows and ticket prices, contact the Malvern box office on 01684 892 Right, that's what's on done and we'll move on to the headline news stories and Catherine will read all the headlines and then start with last Friday's story. Thank you, Pippa. So, the headline last Friday, July 7th, was Boy 15 banned from entering city centre. Saturday's headline was Changing Face of Our City, Major Development as You've Never Seen It Before. On Monday, the headline was Three years and there's still no tarmac. Uproar over condition of new housing estates roads. Tuesday, July the 11th. Don't let thieves take the bait. Warning over rise in fishing gear thefts. On Wednesday, July the 12th, the headline was £350 fine for serial meat thief who stole thousands. And today, Thursday, July the 13th, the headline is Family Kill Dog during horror attack at home. So I'll begin with last Friday's headline story. Boy, 15, banned from entering city centre. 
A teenager with a history of antisocial behaviour has been banned from Worcester. A criminal behaviour order has been granted against 15-year-old Harley Brown of Cedar Avenue in Worcester. The order prohibits the teen from entering the city centre, as well as Malvern Town Centre and the grounds of Bishop Perrone High School, without supervision. Chief Inspector Brian Gibbs of Worcester Police said, We understand the impact antisocial behaviour has on our communities. What this result shows is that we will pursue offenders and we will robustly apply for orders to manage and prevent any future offending in order to make our communities safer. My teams work very hard with our communities and I would encourage anyone who is a victim of antisocial behaviour to contact their local Safer Neighbourhood team. The CBO was granted at Worcester Youth Court on Wednesday, July the 5th. It states that in order to, ins- to enter the centre of Worcester or Malvern, Brown must be accompanied by a parent or a person previously approved by social services. He must also not enter or loiter outside Bishop Perone and must not approach or threaten staff and pupils or those going to and from the school. The CBO also prohibits Brown from being with 11 particular individuals in any public place unless a place of education where they're both registered pupils and attending classes. He must also not wear face coverings such as balaclavas or scarves covering his face in public unless required by public health measures. The order also states Brown must not make threats towards others via any means, including social media, and must not refuse to leave premises when asked by someone who has authority to do so. The final term of the order says that Brown cannot ride any mechanically propelled vehicle, such as mopeds and motorbikes, in an antisocial manner or on any land unless given permission to do so by the landowner. The CBO will be in force for a period of 16 months. Thank you, Catherine. Right, the next headline um, for Saturday and Sunday's newspaper was Changing Face of Our City, Bird's Eye View of New Regeneration. And the opening paragraphs direct us to a couple of photographs of this new development called Sheriff's Gate, which looks to me to be right alongside Shrub Hill Station. Uh, the buildings look massive and they're covered still with scaffolding and the sort of protective material that protects the workers while they're putting these buildings up. Here we go. It is nearly a year since work got underway on the project with a ground-cutting ceremony attended by dignitaries, including former Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Adrian Gregson and Stenard Harrison, Managing Director of Worcester-based Sheriff Gate Developments. At the time, Mr Harrison said the development would bring hundreds of permanent jobs to the city and, quote, a massive injection of cash via shops, leisure activities, food outlets, a gym and a 200-bed hotel. We reported last month how the new windows could be seen gleaming behind a protective layer of scaffolding in which they have been enclosed for months. When the project is finished and the scaffolding is stripped away, the rooms behind the new glass will command some of the most spectacular views in Worcester. The project dwarfs the surrounding buildings and competes with some of the city's tallest buildings to dominate the skyline, including Worcester Cathedral, the Hive and St Andrew's Spire. Meanwhile, the flats continue to rise and take shape, looming over Sheriff Street and Toledyne Road as workmen in hard hats and high-vis tabards can be seen on the various levels. 
Looking from Tolodyne Road, the new building forms a sheer canyon over the main road, perched on its high vantage point near the railway bridge. The £150 million Sheriff's Gate project is transforming the look and feels of the city, with buildings visible for miles around. When completed, the development would include hundreds of new apartments, a hotel, gym, multi-storey car park, shops for food and drink, as well as a multi-screen cinema. Built as one of the largest mixed-use developments ever to be undertaken in Worcester, the project will create 650 homes. The Elliott Group has been working on the structure as the main contractor of the residential apartment development within Phase 1. And this is the headline from Monday the 10th of July. Three years and no tarmac. It's been three years since residents moved into a new housing estate, but still the roads are not tarmacked. Colin Jones of Oakmont Drive near Newtown Road moved into his new home on September the 25th, 2020, but says the road is still in dire need of work. Drivers and cyclists have to navigate large bumps in the road, potholes and traffic cones while they continue to wait for roadworks to be carried out. Mr Jones has claimed that Elan Holmes' work has been constantly delayed by Worcestershire County Council. He said the road layout is not suitable. It is narrowed down to restrict speed, but it is likely to cause accidents. There is a corner which is too narrow and too tight, so a driver cannot see traffic coming towards them in the opposite direction. Every time Elan builders plan to tarmac the road, work is halted by the Worcestershire County Council's Highway Department. Curbstones have been replaced numerous times as the council say they are not to their plan, despite the fact the council had marked where they needed to be placed and the builders followed their instructions. The neighbouring Augustus Drive was tarmacked once, and then the tarmac was removed because the council wanted a layer of bitumen first, so that was redone at more expense and landfill. We are not impressed with Worcestershire County Council at all. Mr Jones claimed the work was planned on multiple dates between 2022 and early 2023, but the work was always halted due to the Highways Department. A spokesperson for Elan Homes said... The road layout at our Stableford development was designed in consultation with and approved by the local authority. This includes traffic calming measures designed to slow vehicles travelling through the development. We have agreements in place with Worcestershire County Council and Seven Trent Water for roads and sewers to be adopted. Before they can be handed over, there is some remedial and maintenance work to be carried out. A groundworks contractor has been appointed and these works are progressing. We apologise for any inconvenience caused by these works. A Seven Trent spokesperson said, As it is a new development, the work is not for them and is instead for the council and the developer. A county council spokesperson said, We can confirm that the site is not yet adopted. We can also confirm that the developer is undertaking significant remedial work on site at the request of the County Council to ensure the finished development meets the required highway standards. And the headline for Tuesday, July the 11th, Don't Let Thieves Take the Bait. Warning over rise in fishing gear thefts from sheds. 
There's been a rise in fishing equipment being stolen from homes and sold illegally, according to City Angling Business, Worcester Angling Centre on Brickfields Road. Owner Gary Hickton said tackle and bait are being targeted by thieves. He added the thefts increase in the summer months and has advised anglers to store their equipment in a safe place. He said, It is something that we hear about every year and sadly people do not seem to learn. The equipment is being stolen from sheds, garages and other outbuildings. It's always safer to leave your equipment somewhere secure in your house. Mr Hickton added, The tackle and angling equipment that gets stolen is most often sold afterwards online or at car boot sales. So many people will buy this equipment for a slightly cheaper price, but they'll have no idea where it's come from. For advice on keeping your equipment safe, anyone can always come into the shop and speak to me. It can also be smart to insure your fishing equipment as well to protect from thefts. The Angling Trust, a not-for-profit organisation representing anglers, fish, fishing and the environment, published a list of tips to help protect against fishing equipment theft on its Lines on the Water blog. Securing your fishing gear with locks and taking preventative measures with CCTV or smart water were recommended in the blog post. The blog also advises investing in fishing tackle insurance and to make an inventory of all your stock so you can see if any items have been stolen. The Angling Trust also emphasised the importance of reporting tackle theft to the police. To report a crime, you can call 101 or use the online Tell Us About form on the West Mercia Police website at www.westmercia.police.uk slash tua slash tell dash us dash about over to you right <clears throat> on Wednesday the headline was a £350 fine for serial meat thief who stole thousands a serial thief who stole more than £3,000 worth of products from city shops has avoided a prison sentence we previously reported Leanne Timmins of Oak Ridge Close, Worcester, admitted 20 thefts from a shop. After admitting the first 11, a further nine came to light, leading to Timmins being remanded in custody to prevent further shoplifting before her sentence. The full details of the thefts were heard during her sentence hearing at Worcester Magistrates Court. And there's a list of 20 thefts. So I'm just going to read four to give you a, a taste of, of what she stole. Um, but I should say also that these thefts occurred from February the 24th through to May the 8th. So it was £205.39 of meat items from Sainsbury's on March the 6th. Meat items worth £109.32 from Sainsbury's on March the 13th. Meat products valued at £150 from Tesco on April the 12th. Meat products valued at £200 from the co-op on May the 6th. And so you can imagine the length of the list. All the thefts took place at Worcester stores this year. Some of the offences happened after a court hearing on May the 4th, in which she was warned not to shoplift and given bail with the strict condition she was not allowed to enter or loiter outside any Sainsbury's store for any reason. Timmons, who's been battling with a heroin addiction, had two previous convictions for theft prior to her shoplifting spree. Magistrates gave Timmons a one-year community order with a drug rehabilitation requirement and 40 rehabilitation activity requirement days. 
Timmins was ordered to pay Sainsbury's £270 compensation, £30 to Tesco and £50 to the co-op. Due to her limited finances, the defendant was not ordered to pay court costs. The sentencing took place at the court on June the 9th. And Thursday's headline is Family Killed Dog During Horror Attack at Home. A family killed a dog as it attacked three people, leaving a 68-year-old woman with life-threatening injuries. Three people were injured, including the pensioner, after the attack in Borton Avenue, St John's, Worcester, yesterday morning. That's Wednesday morning. The woman was rushed to the University Hospital in Birmingham, and a 38-year-old man was taken to Worcestershire Royal Hospital. The third man, who did not wish to go to hospital, was discharged at the scene. Neighbours said they saw a man leave the house with a hammer and slump down in relief when the police arrived. The breed of the dog is not known. Neighbours spoke out about the shocking and frightening attack. Eyewitnesses said they were alarmed by screams, shouts, flashing lights and the buzz of an air ambulance landing nearby. They said about 10 police cars, an ambulance, an air ambulance and a black unmarked car had arrived outside the residential property at around 9am. Officers gave first aid to two of the people, the woman and the man with serious injuries, before paramedics arrived. Police said the family killed the dog during the attack to prevent the animal from causing more harm. One neighbour said, I heard shouting at about 8.30am and then it went quiet and then it started again. I heard the noise and looked up and down the road. There were no police cars there then. I then saw a man leave the house and he had a hammer in his hand and when police arrived he sat on the floor in relief. There were around 10 police cars, an ambulance, an air ambulance and a black unmarked car which had two police officers come out of it with guns. Residents had said Borton Avenue was a quiet street with few things going on. One said, It is shocking and frightening that something like this has happened. A West Midlands Ambulance Service spokesperson said that when they arrived at the scene, there were three patients. A spokesperson for the police said, We can confirm that the dog died during the incident when the family were trying to stop it from harming the individuals and prevention of it causing any more injury. Police are awaiting confirmation from a vet to establish the breed. Okay, so that's the headline news stories for the week concluded and we'll now bring you general news stories and Jane's going to kick us off. This is for a bookshop hub to open in the city. A community hub with a cafe for authors and artists is set to open in Worcester next month. Script Haven will be the city's second independent bookshop, but the new shop by former Worcestershire Poet Laureate Lena Batchelor is offering more than just books. Operating from the former House of Coffee on the High Street, Script Haven will also offer a platform for authors and artists, unique gifts, a cafe, second-hand book exchange and community hub. It is set to open on August the 5th at 1.30pm. After a search for the right place, Lena said she was delighted when she secured 104 High Street. She said, I knew I needed an easily accessible premises, but never in my wildest dreams did I dare hope for such an ideal location. I also want to ensure that the ethos of using local and loyal customer base that was built up by the House of Coffee is maintained. Tom, who owned the House of Coffee, put his heart and soul into the shop. You can feel the love and welcome as soon as you step inside the door. 
Ten years ago, Lena stepped into the spoken word scene in Worcester and applied for the Worcestershire Poet Laureate role three years ago. During the time of pandemic lockdowns, Lena had to find unique ways of getting poetry into the lives of people who would not normally engage in the genre. This resulted in a calendar raising funds for the REME charity, online spoken word events for charities and an exhibition for the commandery. There was also a performance piece which was free to youths and schools and groups endorsed by Hollywood vampires Alice Cooper, Johnny Depp and Joe Perry. Creative, safe and sociable places like Script Haven are appearing across the country. Places where communities and individuals can simply be. Places to relax and be immersed in the well-being aspects of creativity. To also be able to showcase the wealth of local talent, especially those who have supported me over the last few years, is an honour. The, sh- the shop will also provide a community hub and safe space, providing facilities for advice, counselling, education, creative workshops, alongside volunteering opportunities. Lena hopes to host various spoken word events in support of charities and events, as well as the annual Worcestershire Lit Fest and Fringe Festival. Script Haven also offers a scheme supporting UK troops on deployment, believed to be the first of its kind specifically in the UK for UK troops, via its website www.scripthaven.co.uk. To contact Lena and learn more about the shop or to get involved, email scripthavenltd at gmail.com or visit the website www.scripthaven.co.uk. A resident has been evicted because of antisocial behaviour and reports of drug dealing at a property in St John's. Another Worcester resident is also due to be evicted over similar reasons. Police say a flat in Broadley Close in St John's had become a considerable cause for concern with both disorder and drug-related matters having been reported by neighbours. This included specific concerns regarding county line drug dealing at the address. Following warrants conducted at the property and individuals placed under investigation, the tenant was taken to court and was evicted by bailiffs with the assistance of housing officers and police. A resident from Dent Close, Worcester, is also now due to be evicted following a litany of complaints from local residents, again surrounding the issues of antisocial behaviour and drug activity over a significant period of time. Policing teams from St John's, Bedwardine and Cathedral worked closely with counterparts in Worcester Proactive CID and Platform Housing to address the antisocial behaviour and drug issues in the two locations in Worcester. PC Paul Slaymaker said, In both instances, the tenants had every opportunity to address their behaviour, having been informed of the negative impact it was having on the local community but chose to ignore this guidance and can continue to be a blight on the areas in which they were living. Their evictions will show that this sort of behaviour will not be tolerated and through the well-established multi-agency working practices between the police and housing, it will be addressed and robust action will be taken. 
For the latest stories on crime and antisocial behaviour, you can check out the website worcesternews.co.uk. That's all one word, worcesternews.co.uk. Or you can check out their Facebook page. Ticket offices at railway stations across the region are set to close. Rail Delivery Group, which represents the country's train operators, has has announced proposals aimed at modernising customer service, which would see nearly all ticket offices in England shut down, with only the busiest stations maintaining their facilities. A railway worker in Worcestershire, who asked not to be named, said they were brought to tears amid fears that offices at Worcestershire, Parkway, Evesham and Morton in Marsh could be among those set to close over the next few years. They said, we've been told that if the proposals are accepted, the ticket windows at Evesham, Morton, Kingham and Charlbury could be closed next June 2024. Worcestershire Parkway office could then close by January 2025. Whatever happens, the public will be much worse off. The elderly and disabled will end up being alienated. Some of us don't want to lose our little stations. And yes, I've cried this morning. The railway worker added, The public need to know that this is the reason we're we're striking, not just for a pay deal. We're fighting for our jobs and for the public. They're being told what to do. That, that, That is not democratic. We don't want to abandon our public. Members of the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union, RMT, staged their first stoppage on June 21st last year in a dispute over pay, jobs and conditions. The move is being driven by the government's pressure on the rail industry to save money due to the revenue decline caused by the COVID pandemic. As part of the consultations on the ticket office closures, train companies across England will engage with passengers to gather their input. RDG Chief Executive Jacqueline Starr said, with just 12% of tickets being sold from ticket offices last year and 99% of those transactions being available on ticket vending machines or online, our proposals would mean more staff on hand to give face-to-face help with a much wider range of support from journey planning to finding the right ticket and helping those with accessibility needs. The Rail Delivery Group has been contacted for a response to the Worcestershire Railway workers' comments. And from Wednesday's newspaper, River for Heating Plan in Cash Boost. And we've got a picture of the River Seven here looking towards the new bridge in Glover's Needle, looking very full and a bit murky. The City Council has been given almost a quarter of a million pounds to develop plans to start using the River Seven to heat parts of the city centre. Worcester City Council has been given £230,000 from the Department for Energy Security and Net Zero to help build a case for a new underground heat network, which would distribute hot water to help heat older buildings in Worcester City Centre using power generated by the River Severn. Worcestershire LEP, now I can tell you that LEP stands for Local Enterprise Partnership. Worcestershire LEP revealed in February the heat network could cost as much as £20 million and would heat homes and businesses in the city centre, including the proposed Shrub Hill redevelopment. The heat network could power all of the University of Worcester's buildings, as well as those owned by Worcester City Council, Sanctuary Housing's head office and a number of other buildings in the city centre. 
The council said building the network could significantly cut the carbon footprint of publicly owned buildings such as the Guildhall, Museum, an art gallery in Fourgate Street and the Commandery, where age and condition make them unsuitable for other renewable energy sources. I know how that feels. It is all part of a plan by the City Council to cut its own emissions and become carbon neutral by 2030. The Council believes its move to become carbon neutral would be a significant step forward if the work goes ahead. Councillors will be asked at an Environment Committee meeting to approve taking the project to the next stage, which requires putting a further £5,000 in the pot. Worcester City Council and Worcestershire City County Council would contribute £5,000 each towards the LEP plan, putting aside 40000 and the University of Worcester providing 10000 Three years ago, councillors agreed to spend £10,000 on a study to find out how the River Severn could be used for power and backed a bid to the government for funding. The approval did not come without its doubts about how potentially expensive and disruptive the scheme could prove to be. The City Council's Environment Committee meets in the Guildhall from 7pm on July the 18th. And this is um, a story from Wednesday, July the 12th. Um, A CREM move is rolled out. The city's crematorium is now set for a £6 million makeover after plans to move elsewhere have been ruled out. Worcester City Council is now looking to extend and modernise the existing Astwood crematorium after studies ruled out relocating to a different part of the city. A report from the City Council reveals the cost of refurbishing the crematorium would cost more than £6 million, with yearly running costs of nearly £400,000 a year. The work would take around 10 months to carry out. It has not been confirmed whether the crematorium would have to shut for the entire time. But bosses now want to spend another £250,000 to draw up plans for the renovation and will ask the Council's Environment Committee to approve plans at a meeting in the Guildhall on July the 18th. The designs and budget for the renovated crematorium would not be put to councillors until next spring at the earliest. The Council's preferred option is to replace Aswood's crematorium's three ageing gas furnaces with two new electric ones. An extension would also be built to make way for new accessible toilets and the chapel would be reorientated to look out towards the Garden of Remembrance. A new covered entrance would also be built and the crematorium's chimney would be replaced with a shorter one. The two new electric furnaces would cost at least £600,000 and nearly £1 million to install and run for the next 25 years, or around £70,000 a year. However, energy costs would fall by £10,000 a year by switching to electric from gas, according to the council. The council said switching to green electric would also reduce carbon emissions by 80%, The cheapest option would see the council use grid electricity with each crematorium costing £32 towards an annual bill based on 1,700 cremations a year of £54,500. 
This is compared to green electricity, which would cost £38 per crematorium, with a predicted annual cost of £64,600. But while more expensive to run, the green electricity would cut the carbon emissions from each cremation down to zero, compared to the 24 kilos that would be created using grid electricity. The Council said its plan was the most cost-effective over the dirtier gas option, which would have a bigger carbon footprint but would be around £1 million cheaper, and the costlier plan for extensive cladding and bigger extensions, which would total more than £7 million and come in at a cost of nearly at least £450,000 a year. The Council expects to bring in about £1.3 million this year from the crematorium, which is amongst its biggest earners, with the new £400,000 annual cost of the new improved crematorium reducing income to £960,000. The council said it was difficult to estimate what the loss of earnings would be while the crematorium was closed for the work, but has ruled out that the full loss of income across the 10 months would be just over £1 million. A new headmaster has been appointed at a Worcester school who hopes to provide a range of opportunities for all. Nick Hawker has been appointed as the new headmaster of King St Albans School, taking up the post in January 2024. Mr Hawker is currently the deputy head of Salisbury Cathedral School, where he oversees the day-to-day operation of the school and is the academic head. He says that he is passionate about ensuring that King St Albans is run as a well-rounded prep school, able to provide both academic rigour as well as a broad range of opportunities for all. Mr Hawker said, It's a great privilege to be asked to lead King St Albans Prep School through the next stage of its development and a real joy to become part of the King School Worcester Foundation. Throughout the interview process, I was struck by the warmth and generosity of the whole community here, and I have been truly inspired by both its rich history and ambitious outlook. My family and I are very much looking forward to becoming part of this very special school here at King's. Hailing originally from Solihull, Mr Hawker read music at Birmingham University before undertaking a master's research degree in musicology. Married to Gemma and with two young children, Archie and Isabel, he's a keen sportsman and is an FA coach and enjoys long-distance running having completed the London Marathon in 2009. Gareth Dudes, the Foundation Headmaster, said, We're so looking forward to welcoming Mr Hawker and his family to King's. He's made a superb impression on all all who met him, impressed everyone with his kindness, ambition and enthusiasm, and I know that the community will welcome him warmly. This is an exciting time for our whole Foundation community. A fundraiser has been set up so that a hero postman who tackled a fire on his rounds can fulfil a lifelong dream. Charlie Bourne, a postman, used a fire extinguisher to put out flames that reached about nine feet high on Sycamore Road, Tolodyne, until fire crews arrived. Pete Bourne, Charlie's father, has now set up a GoFundMe campaign so that his son can become an AFF Level 1 skydiver. Mr Bourne is hoping to raise £2,500 to fulfil his son's dream. He said, Charlie has a goal one day 
of becoming an AFF Level 1 skydiver. It's been his dream for many years after he did a tandem jump as a birthday treat. It would be great if people recognised his commitment to the community and donated whatever they could spare for Charlie and his dream. Mr Bourne also said how proud he was of his son for his heroic actions in putting out the fire. He said, he's my son, but he's also my best mate, and I am so proud of everything he does. Charlie's become a bit of a local hero hero of late due to his heroic efforts in fighting a fire on one of his postal rounds. As soon as things were made safe, Charlie calmly went back to delivering his mail. This was a typical action for Charlie. He tends to look after the local community and make sure everyone is made safe and checks in on the vulnerable. According to eyewitnesses, Charlie Bourne sprinted down the road to put out flames that reached about nine feet high. Dressed in his uniform of blue shirt and shorts, he used a fire extinguisher to help tackle the flames. To contribute to Charlie Bourne's GoFundMe, you can visit https colon forward slash forward slash gofundme dot gofund dot me forward slash f two one two 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 c e. Right. Now the next story is headed shape the future of charity shops. A Worcester-based hospice is launching an audience research study to see what people think about their charity shops. St Richard's Hospice has 17 charity shops across the county and they welcome more than 3,500 customers a year, or last year anyway. The shops also play a role in generating essential profit to support the hospice's work. The study, conducted in collaboration with Hemingway Design, aims to future-proof this vital source of income for the charity and identify opportunities for improvement. Hemingway Design, a multidisciplinary design agency, brings its experience and expertise in the second-hand and charity sectors to the collaboration. The agency's co-founder, Wayne Hemingway, began his entrepreneurial journey more than four decades ago by selling second-hand clothes. The survey is currently live and will run for just over two weeks, closing on Sunday, July the 23rd. Mike Wilkerson, chief exec of St. Richard's Hospice, said, Our 17 charity shops are such an important part of who we are here at St. Richard's and how we help to fund the care we provide free of charge to those who need us. We'd love the community to get behind this survey by giving us their thoughts and sharing the link with friends and family so that we can future-proof this area of our income in an increasingly challenging fundraising climate. Wayne Hemingway, MBE, partner at Hemingway Design, added... We're thrilled to be working with St. Richard's Hospice on this research study. Understanding the shopping habits of communities across Worcestershire will contribute to the growth and development of the charity shops, ensuring they remain vibrant and responsive community assets. At Hemingway Design, we've worked across a whole series of town centre visioning, regeneration and urban design projects. Charities are the bedrock of our town centres. They work simultaneously to improve a multitude of crises facing our country and planet. And as the cost of living crisis worsens, they're a lifeline to many. The value of charity retail extends far beyond its economic contribution. We can credit charity shops with tackling our planet-damaging habit of fast fashion. It's one of the best examples of the circular green economy at scale. If you'd like to take the survey, you need to visit www.charityshopsurvey.co.uk. The online survey will be supplemented by face-to-face interviews in selected stores over the coming weeks. 
there's a warning over an invasive plant, a disruptive plant with similar aspects to Japanese knotweed has prompted a warning from the national trade body. Property Care Association's Invasive Weed Control Group is encouraging Worcestershire homeowners to seek specialist help with bamboo, as it's a non-native species. The call follows a rise in media reports of bamboo litigation cases, including encroachment and damage to garden features, costing homeowners thousands of pounds. Daniel Docking, technical manager at the PCA, that's the Property Care Association, said we are keen to raise awareness and share guidance and information to property valuers and homeowners on how they can understand these risks. Not only have we seen a rise in encroachment claims under common law, but there's also a serious potential risk for rhizomes to penetrate subfloor levels of a home and affect the amenity enjoyment of gardens. Bamboo isn't listed in Schedule 9 of the Wildlife and Countryside Act, but we know it is just as capable of causing the same type of disruption as Japanese knotweed. Unlike Japanese knotweed, bamboo is still widely available for sale. And while its tendency to spread is usually highlighted, the need for containment measures can be oversimplified. Almost 100 contractors across the UK are PCA-approved operators, working within an established invasive non-native species industry. These companies work to PCA codes of practice and have the training, experience and skill to manage non-native plants that have a tendency to spread across property boundaries. Mr Docking said plants are literally a lifeline to us all and we don't need to demonise bamboo. But we do need to raise awareness and encourage people to understand where they can go for help. Householders can rest assured that the PCA-approved contractors have the required knowledge and skill to combat invasive plants such as bamboo that can spread into neighbouring properties. And for more details about the PCA's invasive weed control group, you can visit https://www.propertycare.org/homeowners/invasiveweedcontrol/ Worcester was awash with pink as the Race for Life arrived in the city last weekend. Thousands of runners took part in the main 5k run, which started at 11am yesterday, that was Sunday the 9th of July. Many donned pink t-shirts, tutus and headgear for the race, which raised money and awareness for Cancer Research UK. There were also lots of people dressed up in fancy dress outfits for the event, including a Peter Pan, a Percy Pig, and lots of superheroes with flying capes. The racers were cheered on by family and friends. Among the runners was Sharon Ashman, who travelled all the way from Oakhampton in Devon to take part in memory of friends and family. Along with the main run, there was also a Pretty Muddy event, a 5k muddy obstacle course which took place on the Saturday. Daniel Smith said... Well done to everyone who did the Race for Life Pretty Muddy 5K. Good to see a mix of people doing it and plenty of tutus worn by both men and women. Cancer Research UK's event manager Kimberly Degville said, 
It's been a fantastic two days and we'd like to thank all our incredible participants and volunteers for their support. Life-saving research is being funded right now thanks to our supporters who fundraise. The atmosphere at Worcester was hugely moving, full of emotion, courage, tears and laughter as people celebrated the lives of those who have survived cancer and remembered loved ones lost to the disease. Now we're just asking everyone to send their donations in as soon as possible. Funds help scientists find new ways to prevent, diagnose and treat cancer. Right. A 25-year-old thief, the son of Lotto Grand Suzanne Hinter, tried to escape police chasing him by jumping into a canal, a court heard. A magistrate told Brandon Scott they'd been extremely lenient with him and warned he could go back to jail if he continued his criminal ways. Scott's life spiralled into drug-taking and crime after his month's death in August 2019. The Worcester News has reported on his various court appearances since, including in June last year when he was banned from shops to give them a break from his constant shoplifting. But Scott was back at Worcester Magistrates Court on Friday, July the 7th, admitting four new thefts. In one, Melanie Winterflood, prosecuting, said Scott cycled to TK Maxx and left his bike outside the High Street store. She said Scott went in and stole £70 worth of clothes, which he put inside a rucksack. On, this was on May the 19th this year. He then tried to steal trainers, wrapping foil around the security tag, before he was stopped by security at the door. Despite recovering the trainers, staff did not realise Scott had clothes in the bag and the defendant left on the bike. Miss Winterflood said, There were unusual circumstances. Police followed Mr Scott on his bike along City Walls Road. He tries to evade them. In James Close, he jumped onto a canal boat, then into the water, swimming across to the other side. But, the prosecutor said, the escape had been unsuccessful as police caught up with him on a canal footpath. The court heard Scott also stole fragrances worth £326 from Boots on May the 14th, £219 worth of fragrances from House of Fraser on May the 15th, and toothbrush heads and fragrance worth £103.99 from Boots on May the 23rd. Judith Kenny, defending, said Scott had a chaotic lifestyle, including not having anywhere to live. He's desperate to relinquish this addiction to drugs, Mrs Kenny said. He's positive about drug rehabilitation. He thinks that will help him hugely. Judith Holland, chairman of the magistrate's bench, fined Scott £40 and ordered he pay £114 victim surcharge. Scott, previously of Parlet's Way Poic, near Worcester, was also given a one-year community order with a six-month drug rehabilitation requirement. Before Scott left the courtroom, the chairman said, don't continue to shoplift. We have been very lenient. If you shoplift again, it could be a very different situation in the future in front of another bench. Ms Hinty was given the Lotto Grand moniker in January 2016 after sending a lottery ticket to Camelot questioning whether she'd won half of the National Lottery jackpot, worth £66 million, claiming that the ticket had been damaged in her washing machine. 
She died in August 2019, aged 49, following a suspected heart attack at her home in Borrowdale Drive, Worcester. Pupils help bring war history to life. Living history tours inspired by Worcester's connection to the Spitfire have been taking place at the Guildhall. Pupils from two city schools, Tudor Grange Academy Worcester and Tudor Grange Primary Academy Perdiswell, are amongst those bringing history to life. Perdiswell was home to an RAF landing ground during the Second World War and it is that connection which inspired the Spitfire project. Pupils worked with Midland Actors Theatre to research the stories of people whose lives were connected to the iconic planes. This week, they've been bringing those stories to life during guided tours of the Guildhall by playing the parts of pilots, officers, nurses, prisoners of war, citizens in bomb shelters, and even the actor Clark Gable, who crash-landed in Worcester during the war. Historian Carl Chin talked to pupils about the Battle of Britain, and Worcester Mayor Louis Stephen opened the event. Councillor Stephen said, Immersive, tangible reenactment events such as this bring history to life in a way that no dry, crusty textbook could ever do. The engineering of the Spitfire and the bravery of the pilots was the turning point of the Second World War in the Battle of Britain. He went on, If they had lost that battle, the war may have been lost and we'd all be living in a very different country. We owe so much to those brave men and women. The project was funded by a £41,406 grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund. Tudor Grange Academy head teacher David Butler said he was, quote, blown away by the pupils taking part in the day. He said, to stay in character as they have and to be as engaged as they are, it's amazing. We're really passionate about equity of experience, and this is a day they'll remember forever. Credit must also go to Gavin Coles, the teacher who has led all of this. He's been brilliant. The Spitfire Project continues on Thursday and Friday at the Guildhall. And this is about a school shutting for the last time. An award-winning Worcestershire school has closed its doors for the final time. Abberley Hall School closed on Saturday, July the 1st, despite a £1 million bid to save it. The prep school, which was named Tatler School of the Year last September, had been part of the Malvern College family of schools since 2019. But Malvern College announced in February it was withdrawing its financial support, saying Abberley Hall has suffered significant losses in recent years. A group of parents, ex-pupils and teachers raised more than a million pounds in a bid to save the school but were unable to keep it going as an independent school. To mark the school's end, a cricket match between the school and a team of the OAs, the Old Abley Pupils, took place on Tuesday, June the 27th. Former pupils from across the years gathered to picnic together, tour the school to say their farewells, and visit an exhibition of events of former years and share stories of their school exploits with their peers. That evening, a Thanksgiving service organised by Abberley Hall Foundation was held at Worcester Cathedral, conducted by the Bishop of Worcester, followed by a reception in the Chapter House. Pupils, their families, staff, past and present, one former headmaster, representatives of former headmasters, governors and many old Abberleys were present. Headmaster Johnny Besley said... It's the end of summer term is always busy, but being the last ever week of Abbey Hall, it was even busier. This was the end of 150 years of history. People love the school and people are very sad. 
We've had lots of tears from parents, children and staff. But the thing I'm most proud of is that it would have been very easy to get depressed and give up, but we didn't. The pupils continued to receive excellent teaching and care, did their normal events and trips, and we had great exam results. The teachers gave 100% up until the last minute, and then my, my message to the children was that it is sad, but they will remember Abberley Hall for the rest of their lives. They can be grateful for their time here, but now it's time for new adventures. I'm very proud of everyone. A newborn baby girl was born on the same date as her nan and great-nan, giving both women the best birthday present of their lives. Daisy Davis was born at Worcestershire Royal Hospital in Worcester on Monday, June the 26th, the same date as two other generations of the same family. Her arrival gave little Daisy's nan and great-nan the perfect birthday present, a beautiful, healthy baby girl with a good head of dark hair. Arriving at 1.13 in the morning, adorable Daisy astonished the family when she arrived three days ahead of her due date, on the same date as her nan, April Leighton Morris, 60, and great-nan, Anne Bellamy, 83, who's known affectionately by the family as Nan B. So now there will be a triple family celebration for family birthdays in the future. Mrs Leighton Morris of Malvern, a mum of three and grandmother of 13, said she even joked ahead of the birth that the baby might arrive on her and her mum's birthday. The occupational therapy assistant who works at Tewkesbury Hospital said, Natalie said the baby was due at the end of June and I said, then wouldn't it be funny if the baby was born on mine and mum's birthday? I was over the moon. It was the best birthday present I've ever had. And my mum was the same. She was over the moon. She'll never be rich. She's got near on 50 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Despite all her grandchildren and great-grandchildren, Mrs Bellamy never forgets any of their birthdays, says her daughter. In another strange coincidence, Daisy weighed £7, 2 ounces, exactly the same weight as her dad, April's son, Adam Davis, 30, when he was born in 1993. Anne was born on June the 26th, 1940, April on June the 26th, 1963. And now Daisy has completed the family hat trick after she arrived on June the 26th, 2023, precisely 60 years after the birth of her grandmother. All three were born in Worcester. And here's another feel-good story, this time about a working life. As the nation celebrates the 75th anniversary of the NHS, a University of Worcester PhD student in a senior national role has spoken of the privilege of being a nurse. After a career spanning more than 40 years, Liz Fenton, Deputy Chief Nurse in the Workforce Training and Education Directorate at NHS England, recently received an OBE for services to the nursing profession from Charles III. It's very humbling to get an award like that for doing your job and I owe a huge debt of gratitude to my team, said the 64-year-old mother of one and grandmother of two. I'm just thrilled that it's a recognition of the work that not just I do, but all nurses do, and it's lovely that the profession is recognised in that way. After qualifying in 1981, Liz of Tewkesbury went on to work at a number of community hospitals in Gloucestershire and has held a number of clinical and leadership roles in both acute and community settings. She joined Health Education England in 2015 and took up her current position in 2017. She said, I've been nursing now for 40 years and it is a real privilege to care for people when they're most vulnerable 
and now to be able to support the next generation of nurses. I've held a variety of very different roles and I think one of the things for new nurses coming forward is enabling them to understand that one qualification can give you such a variety of career opportunities going forward. I've been very lucky and privileged in some of the work I've done. Her role sees her responsible for ensuring the future workforce, working with universities and students around the country. It's particularly important because that's how we're going to secure the future of nursing and care through our students, she said. The important thing for me is that I build on the work I'm doing with our student nurses and midwives so we really can ensure the quality of their learning experience. That initial grounding that they get through their early training really sets them up for their future career. Liz is doing her doctorate part-time and is in her second year. Her research looks at the motivations and influences on nurses that encourage them to remain working in the NHS and involves interviewing nurses with at least 10 years of experience. My intention is, instead of asking why nurses leave, that we talk to those that have got considerable careers in the NHS to understand what's encouraged them to stay, she said. That's my ambition, that that model is used to inform our national and local direction when we're developing strategies around retention. Having done her nursing degree and master's as a mature student, she became interested in the question of retention as it kept coming up in her work. She contacted a number of universities about doing a PhD, but was impressed by the response from Worcester. I'm really enjoying it, she added. It's a big commitment to undertake these studies alongside a busy full-time job but I've been well supported all the way through my all the way through by my supervisors. For information on courses at University of Worcester, visit www.worcester.ac.uk. For application inquiries, telephone 01905 855111 or email admissions at worc.ac.uk. Hot Air Balloon Fest could return to City. A hot air balloon festival could be set to return to the city next year despite the tragic death of a balloonist on the same weekend. Initial discussions between the organisers, the council and the racecourse where the festival was held are underway in a bid for the festival to return. The two-day festival made its debut on Friday, June 23rd and Saturday the 24th and saw thousands of people flock to see the hot air balloons. Over the two days, more than 20,000 people visited the event, which also featured fireworks, food and drink stalls and live entertainment. And although the weather halted the flight of a few balloons for part of the event, they did eventually fly on Saturday afternoon. Despite the event being a huge success, the following day saw the death of Peter Gregory, 25, a balloonist who died when his hot air balloon crashed in Ombersley near the A449. The circumstances surrounding the accident are being investigated by the Air Accident Investigation Branch. Organisers have said Peter's flight that day was independent and not related to the festival. David Bailey, event organiser, said, We're looking forward to do the event next year and we're in talks with the council and the racecourse regarding dates. A spokesperson for Worcester County Council said, Initial discussions have already started with the organisers about the event next year. Worcester News has contacted the Air Accident Branch for an update on the investigation. There are plenty of great places to eat in Worcester, but none of them have the received a coveted Michelin star. 
We spoke to a chef to find out why the city's top restaurants have again been missed out off the list. The restaurants receiving Michelin stars for 2023 were revealed in March, with some new restaurants making it into the latest guide. Although Penson's in Tembury Wells is the only Michelin-style restaurant in Worcestershire, there are none in Worcester. There is a distinct lack of city centre restaurants in the Michelin Guide itself, and the nearest restaurants mentioned are the Inn at Welland, Eckington Manor, and the Baiting House at Upper Sapi. Chef Amy Seeley said... We feel we have some great restaurants in Worcester City Centre. However, I'm not sure any of them have the fine dining that you would expect from a Michelin-starred place. The downfall of having a star is you do find places up the prices when they received one. So sometimes it's great visiting before they officially have a star. However, Miss Seeley, who is head chef at Holland House, a Christian retreat house and conference centre in Pershall, said that some places in the county could be in the running for a star in the future. Miss Seeley, who also founded the Worcestershire Foodies Guide Facebook page, said, Cottage in the Wood Malvern, I feel, deserve to be on the guide and the service is brilliant and the food is really beautiful. The Dormy House Hotel in Broadway is another brilliant restaurant. I recently visited for an afternoon tea and that was delightful. The Elms at Abberley is another beautiful building offering a delicious tasting menu and we thoroughly enjoyed our evening there. That isn't to say you cannot get great food in Worcester. I'm just not sure we have any fine dining restaurants in the city and not many or perhaps even any have tasting menus in the city. Perhaps that's what Worcester is looking for. However, she said that the city does have the scope to welcome a Michelin star restaurant. I do think the scope for fine dining, and yes, I think they could be popular. I'd certainly love to visit it, added Miss Seeley. Well, this article uh, gives you details of an up-and-coming musical that's going to hit Worcester in August. Uh, It's going to be performed by Waddies, so listen up if you're keen. Shoppers came to a standstill in Worcester City Centre to hear talented youngsters perform songs from the musical Carousel. Young performers from Waddies, Worcester Operatic and and Dramatic Society Youth Section, were in Cathedral Square two Saturdays ago as part of Worcester Carnival, performing tunes from their upcoming production of Carousel, which opens at Worcester's Swan Theatre on Tuesday, August 1st and runs until Saturday, August 5th. A spokesperson said, Despite having to compete with the sound of bells from the cathedral, the wonderful Waddies performances went down a storm, with passers-by, many singing along to songs such as June is Busting Out All Over and You'll Never Walk Alone. Waddies' cast of 54 talented youngsters aged 8 to 18 have been rehearsing since January. Their production at the Swan Theatre will include evening performances at 7.15pm and a Saturday matinee at 2.15pm. This year, Waddies is donating the proceeds of the carousel interval raffles to the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust. The Trust's Family Support Service is helping 100 families in the Worcestershire, Herefordshire and Gloucestershire region, providing the financial, practical and emotional support for children living with cancer. For tickets to Carousel, visit Huntington Hall box office, call 01905 611 427 
or visit www.worcestertheatres.co.uk. Very small, very short news item this, but one that um, might interest you. Um, It interests me. Have you ever seen or picked up on adverts for a people's postcode lottery? Uh, Well, indeed, it actually exists because people in Worcester have won it. Residents of a Worcester street have bagged a generous prize in the people's postcode lottery. Those with a lottery ticket and a WR4ONB postcode were treated to £1,000 win in one of the fundraising lottery's daily prize draws. The winning postcode belongs to the People's Postcode Lottery players who live in the Warnden Parish South Warnden Parish South area of Worcester. Subscriptions to the Postcode Lottery supports a range of charities across the UK. A minimum of 33% of the ticket price goes to charity. The People's Postcode Lottery manages lotteries for 20 charities who are each having, having one draw a month. Right, good news. And more good news. Pollen counts set to drop after peaking. Pollen counts are set to drop in Worcester after peaking in June. Hay fever sufferers were warned this summer could be one of the worst seasons on record for pollen. But forecast expert Dr Beverly Adams-Groom said relief is imminent and pollen counts are expected to drop soon. At the start of summer, Dr Adams-Groom, weather forecaster from the University of Worcester, predicted that we could experience some of the highest birch counts. However, she said, pollen is in a downward trajectory. We have had the main. When the weather is nice, we do have a risk of high pollen. In June, it was hot and dry and the grasses released their pollen and there were lots of high pollen counts. We usually have another big peak of pollen in mid-July, but we won't have that. June was very hot and so a lot of flowers flowered early, so they won't be doing that again. According to Met Office, grass pollen season is in the late stages. Weed pollen has very little pollen risk in July. We don't have any major urban centres, said the doctor, that are big enough to lose the grass pollen. Birch was predicted to be one of the highest. Dr Adams Groom said hay fever must have been worse for a few people this year due to this increased birch count. But she added, grass pollen will gradually start to fade out and by mid-July it will be between low and moderate as a count. A spokesperson for the Met Office outlined some of the symptoms people with hay fever could be facing. They said, hay fever is an allergy caused by pollen grains released during the pollen season, which normally runs from March to November in the United Kingdom. Common hay fever symptoms include sneezing, runny or blocked nose, itchy eyes, mouth and throat. Less common hay fever symptoms are headaches and hives. Although it is very difficult to avoid exposure to pollen, there are a number of measures you can take that will help you to minimise exposure and ease the severity of your hay fever symptoms. Sadly, they don't tell us what they are. Oh, Oh well. Do it yourself, then. (laughs) New figures reveal the most and least expensive neighbourhoods to buy in Worcester. The UK property market has had a turbulent few years with a boom in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic followed by a slowdown amid rising interest rates and inflation. New figures from the Office for National Statistics show that properties, where properties are likely to set you back the most in Worcester and where you could snap up a bargain. The Warnham Parish South neighbourhood was Worcester's priciest, 
with a median value of £333,000, among the 73 sales in the area last calendar year. The next most expensive was the claims area, where a house could set you back £310,000, and Wandham Parish North, which has a median price of 290750 in 2022. Meanwhile, the Warnton neighbourhood saw the lowest house prices, with buyers paying an average of £195,000 across 49 sales last year. This was followed by Arboretum and Gorse Hill, where buyers spent £204,125 and £205,000, respectively. Across the country, property sales have slowed significantly in the past year. Richard Donnell, Executive Director of Research at the property research site Zoopla, said the increase in mortgage rates is having a bigger impact on the number of sales rather than house prices so far. Recent research by the company suggests sellers are shaving off more than 5% of the original asking price to achieve a sale. There are big regional variations with market activity holding up better in Scotland, the North East and London, while sales have increased more slowly in England regions across the south of England. House prices are starting to post small falls in higher value markets where average values are over £400,000 in more affordable markets the prices are still rising year on year, albeit at a much slower rate than a year ago, he added. There were 700,000 sales across England and Wales in the year to December 2021, down from a recent peak of more than 1.1 million in the year to September 2021. Overall, house prices have remained steady, with a median price of 280,000 last year, a £5,000 increase on the year before. In Worcester, the average house cost £243,250 in 2022, up from £231,500 a year before, and the number of properties sold dropped from 1,957 in 2021 to 1,000 and 336 last year. Well, that uh, concludes the general news stories for the week and we'll move on now with some news. And I will start with some not-so-good news in that Worcestershire Rapids suffered a disappointing end to their bid to reach the Vitality Blast finals day as they were bowled out for just 100 runs. The Rapids reached the low total in only 17.5 overs of their quarter-final tie against Hampshire Hawks and went on to suffer a five-wicket defeat at the Aegeus Bowl on last Friday night. Other than an enterprising 70-run partnership between Usama and Ed Pollock, wickets fell cheaply and at regular intervals. In reply, Adam Finch claimed two wickets during the power play and spinners Mitchell Santner and Usama with two for 20 in his four overs caused a few problems and bowled tightly. But reigning champions Hampshire were able to reach their target with 4.3 overs to spare. Bad luck, Worcestershire.
And here's a story about Worcester City football. Chris Corns admitted he's still trying to figure out the best formation for his Worcester City side after watching the 2-1 pre-season defeat to Malvern Town. City conceded a last-minute goal as the Hillsiders, who will be playing a level above their local rivals for the first time ever this season, pinched victory from what was a fair draw, according to Corns. I thought a draw was probably a fair result, so to concede a late goal like that and lose the game is frustrating, he said. Matt Turner had fired Morven into an early lead after a mix-up in the city box. But captain for the day, Calvin Dinsley, headed Worcester level ten minutes after the break. City looked the better side in the second half, but went down to ten men due to injuries in the final stages. And the visitors took advantage with virtually the last kick, as Jedediah Afenyo tapped into an empty net. But Corns was keen to insist that pre-season is not all about results. Ultimately, the result is relevant, but I would be lying if I said I didn't want to win the game. We played well in the second half and I thought we controlled the game, but when we went down to ten men due to injuries, they were, they were able to capitalise, and that's football. So the new-look City side proved that there is still something to do ahead of the season kick-off in the FA Cup on August the 5th. We have a run of games now to keep getting the players up to speed and trying to implement the style of football we want to play. And I think we're starting to see that now after three games, Corn said. We have the individuals and the style of play, but we do need to also figure out a formation that suits and that can take time. We have some nights out planned and a weekend away, so we will be using that as well to help with team building off the pitch. But that's not really a concern with this bunch. City continue their pre-season campaign this weekend. And that is, let me just have a look at the date. So yes, they will be this weekend because this report is today, Thursday. Um, They continue their pre-season campaign this weekend when they welcome Step 3 Telford United to Clanes Lane with a 3pm kick-off. Right, we're back to cricket now in Worcestershire, of course. Worcestershire has announced that pace bowling duo Josh Tung and Dylan, Dylan Pennington will leave the club. The pair, both products of the club's academy, will join Nottinghamshire at the end of the 2023 season. Chief Exec Officer Ashley Giles said the club had gone to great lengths to try to keep them, expressing his disappointment at their decision. The club have made great efforts, he said, to find a way to retain both here at Worcestershire and, until recently, we were optimistic about achieving that. We wish Joss and Dylan the very best of luck in the future. Tung, 25, joined the club as a six-year-old, making his first-class debut in 2016 before being awarded his full England test cap this summer. He featured in 47 first-class and 25 white ball games for the county. He said, a big thank you to everyone who has supported me from when I started at Worcestershire. I've really enjoyed my time here and have had some incredible memories. The club will always be close to my heart. I wish everyone at the club success for the years ahead. Pennington, 24, who has featured in a total of 40 first-class and 66 white ball games, made his first-class debut in 2018 and took 190 wickets across all the formats. He said, I'm immensely grateful to Worcestershire for all the incredible support, guidance and opportunities they've provided for me from the moment I joined the academy as a 17-year-old. 
Worcestershire will always hold a special place in my heart and I extend my deepest gratitude to the club, my teammates and the amazing members and supporters for always believing in me. Thank you to everyone at Worcestershire for shaping me into the cricketer I am today. Subject to any commitments with the England team, both players will remain eligible for selection until the end of the season. And this is City and Raiders, both given home ties in the FA Cup. Worcester City and Worcester Raiders have both been given home ties. The extra preliminary round of the competition was drawn today. Well, Friday, July the 7th. City have been drawn against Dudley Town, while Raiders will take on Belper United. Dudley Town play in Division 1 of the Midland Football League and Derbyshire-based Belper are members of the United Counties League Premier Division North. If Worcester City get through against Dudley Town, they will be rewarded as an away game at either Westfields or Coggenhoe United in the preliminary round, which was also drawn today. The prize for Raiders, should they beat Belper, would be a trip to either Chiffonal Town or Hereford Lads Club. Morven Town have been drawn away to Rugby Town in the extra preliminary round. The cup tie is another thing to look forward to for the Hillsiders, who are preparing for their first season back in the Southern League for 14 years. Right. Well, I said there wasn't a lot of sport. Uh, that's it, I'm afraid. Um, so we're left with, I think it's going to be the time for the birthday file. And after no birthdays to announce last week, gosh, I was disappointed, I am delighted to say we have three listeners celebrating their birthdays over the coming week. On the 19th of July, it's Joan Beach's birthday. And on Thursday the 20th, Rosemary Griffin will be celebrating her special day. And the day after, on Friday the 21st, Barbara Turner will be blowing out the candles. Well, I hope she will. So, all three of you, may we wish you a very happy day when it's your turn. And if anyone else would like to be added to the birthday file who is not already on it, please just get in touch. And from there, it's time for the sunrise and sunset times. So, today, this morning, the sun rose at 5.03 a.m., and it's set at 9.26, or it will be setting at 9.26 p.m. And last but not least, I'd like Jane to uh, read us the thought for the week, please. And this is from Isaiah 12, verses 4 and 5. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Thank you. And that brings us to the end of this week's recording. I'd like to thank today's readers, Catherine. Goodbye. Phil. Bye. And Jane. Goodbye. And John is waving goodbye from the other side of the glass. I'd also like to say a big thank you to the production team um, under Carol Hartle's wonderful tutelage who all work so hard to get our offerings out to you every week. And finally, I'd like to say goodbye from me and have a good weekend ahead. Bye-bye. Here are the obituaries. 
June Mary Mayo passed away peacefully on the 15th of June 2023, aged 93. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 18th of July at 10.45am. Family flowers only, donations if desired for Queen Elizabeth Hospital Burns Unit. Leonard Patrick Webb, known as Len, passed away peacefully at home on the 18th of June 2023, aged 76 years. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Monday the 17th of July at 12.15pm. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for Breast Cancer UK or the British Lung Foundation. They may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Smart casual dress by request, please. Brenda Rose K, formerly of Salford Priors, passed away on the 1st of July 2023, aged 92 years. The funeral service will take place at Redditch Crematorium, Thursday the 27th of July at 2pm. Family flowers only, donations if desired, are for Midlands Air Ambulance and British Heart Foundation. All inquiries to Merstow Green Funeral Home, 01386 49903. Edward Owen Gaynor-Smith died peacefully on the 22nd of June. The funeral has already taken place, but donations were, were directed, if desired, for the RNLI and may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Household Road, Malvern, WR141TL. Donald Hall passed away peacefully at home on the 27th of June. A celebration of his life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday the 20th of July at 1.45. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection place at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, and their address is 68-70 to Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Colourful clothes, please, by request. Rosalind Jones passed away on the 20th of June. A funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 17th of July at 2.30pm. Family flowers only, please. If desired, donations can be made to the Midlands Air Ambulance, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, Worcester WR1 1JA. Maureen Newman passed away on the 8th of June. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 18th of July at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Alzheimer's Research UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 68-70 Ormsley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU.